Anyway, whatever. We got Craig. Craig's our boy. Welcome to Active Discourse, the podcast that explores the gray areas between our favorite platforms. I'm Brett. And I'm Bo. And Active Discourse is now never longer than 45 minutes. So let's get started. We're, follow- we're kind of doing a little bit of a new format here, but we're going to follow a similar format. We're still going to start with follow-up. We're still going to have a, to- a main topic of the day, and then we're still going to end the show with picks. And the first topic in follow-up here is related to constraints. So um, new, f- new 45-minute long constraint, and it's uh, inspired by uh, Clockwise and Under the Radar, uh, two of my favorite podcasts. And the uh, constraint format really helps them out a lot, and so I want to give it a shot. So, but recently, I've been using constraints more recently. Um, specifically in app development. So I want to tell the world a little bit about that. So over the course of the last year, I have been learning app development and I actually just hit an anniversary. In May 2019, I started to learn how to uh, do app development. I found some resources online and was digging into it. I celebrated a year recently. And so to celebrate that year, I decided to do a sprint. Uh, and one of the problems that I've been running to is that I kind of have a graveyard of projects. And to celebrate a year, I really didn't want to start a new project and basically destined it for the graveyard. And so why? I mean, that's the hallmark of a developer. <laughs> yes. There's, I have only been doing this for a year and I'm not really happy with the size of my graveyard already. But anyway, over the course of the last year since January, I, I guess I've become a runner. Um, I've never really ran much before in my life, but I do now. Since the beginning of January, I've been running five days a week, every week. And towards the middle of May, my ankles started to hurt, my shins started to hurt, my knees were hurting a little bit, and stretching was doing a little bit. And I found out you're supposed to replace your shoes uh, before their the soles are falling off. And so the theory goes that you're supposed to replace your shoes between every three to 500 miles. And I had no idea how many shoe- miles were on my last pair of shoes, and but I knew it was time. So I decided to create an app to track the miles that I'm going to run on my new shoes. Um, so some of the constraints that I set up, the design is extremely minimal, and I am the target mark. I am making this for myself, and um, it's going to be a very manual process. It's ugly, but I was successful. And uh, the initial build was done in two weeks, and uh, I've been cleaning up over the course of the last two weeks as well. So... I am currently using it to track my miles. Uh, It will remain unpublished until uh, it's ready for iOS 14. And until I feel, you know, comfortable with it, that it won't, you know, blow up in people's phones. Um, But we'll talk more about it over the course of time. So we had a uh, we had a discussion about it. uh, What was that last week or two weeks ago? I think Um, it might have been three weeks. Just kind of going through the code and doing a little review and, and yeah, um, checking out what you had. And and then I think you you took some of that and kind of re-architected it a little bit. I, yes, this is something that I do and I don't really know why I do it. So when we did our code review a couple weeks ago, um, we were walking through the code and I was very interested in getting your opinion because you, you know, you do this a lot more than I do. And uh, you made a comment saying that, you know, where I was storing my data I was using an array instead of a dictionary. And you said, you really should dictionary instead of an array. And I was like, I don't know why I'm not using a dictionary. But it, for some reason, it was harder to do than an array. And you're like, 
you should just convert it. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'll do that eventually. And then over the course of 24 hours, I thought about it, pondered it. 24 hours later, I text you like, all right, so now converting arrays to dictionaries is now the number one priority. Thanks. <laughs> I, I like, I like going over the, uh, I like going over the code with you. So, um, I'll show you some more later. Perfect. So following your app, yeah, we, we got some PS5 stuff. We got we had some stuff to look at. Big stuff to look at. That they, they showed us things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So the PS5, we now see what the console looks like. It's you know, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Tell us your thoughts of the PS5 design. We'll talk more about the games later. It it actually blew me away. I, I was watching the whole reveal, um, and when we got to the, I mean, the games all looked great, and uh, there's some that I'm really looking forward to, but I really did not expect the hardware design to look as it does. It was, uh, it was a, it's striking, and it's, it's far more bold than I thought it would be uh, following the previous or, or current generation with the PS4 and PS4 Pro and Xbox One. And even after the Xbox Series X reveal, the Xbox Series X is pretty muted. It's a it's a cube. It's a black cube. Um, I'm sure they'll have a white one or whatever, but it's it's a cube. Um, and then Sony comes out with the PS5, and it's this like curved white monolith with a blue light running down it, or two blue lights, I think, on the insides. And it just was not at all was what I was expecting. And we're going to talk about this more in a uh, coming episode, I think, when we when we do a little bit more on on consoles and things. We'll we'll have some more news on uh, Microsoft and Sony both. Um, but I think it just really goes to show that Microsoft and Sony are on different paths. I don't think they consider each other rivals in terms of consoles, in the in the true kind of business sense. Um, Sony. In their hardware this time around, they basically had no regard for Microsoft at all. They weren't even thinking about them. I think it looks pretty cool. Uh, I, don't, I think it'll look great in black, but the white does look pretty pretty nifty. <laughs> so my opinion on the matter, I don't really like the lumpiness of the disked version of the PS5. The diskless version of the PS5 looks pretty slick. I think it looks it looks good. But I don't like the lines of the disked version. But ultimately, it's going to sit behind my TV. I'm not really going to see it much. I like the idea of having the disk drive for ease of use in some instances to buy cheaper games, used games in some instances. You can't buy digital used games. And, you know, I won't see it. So the design ultimately doesn't matter. and It all comes down to how does it play games. So with all that being said, I don't like the glossy white very much. I think this would look pretty dang slick in black, whether it's matte black or a dual tone, you know, glossy slash matte black. That'd be pretty sweet. But I don't really like the glossy white. It has glossy white has to be done appropriately. And from the press images I've seen, I kind of feel like it looks maybe a little cheap, if I can say that. Yeah, it makes some of the some of the cheap glossy plastic. Uh, the white stuff, it reminds me of Samsung's earlier devices. Um, so I, I really am going to have to see 
the PS5. Um, I don't know about in person, but I'm going to need to see more pictures of it uh, to see what kind of materials we're dealing with. I'm definitely kind of more of a matte black finish kind of guy, or or aluminum looks great. I do have a white PS4 controller, um, but that's not you know something that would have to be sitting in the same place really all the time. So uh, the white looks really eye-catching. Um, there's no doubt about that, but uh, we'll have to... It kind of remains to be seen whether it's it's done still in somewhat of a tasteful way. I, I, you know, We'll have to see how it looks in an environment rather than uh, a product video, I think. And PlayStation Sony is known for making custom iterations of their PlayStation all the time, oh, yeah. so... There's definitely going to be a black version. Further down the line, there's definitely going to be a slim version. Um, that's 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 the Sony cycle. So the rumors are shaping up to be a pretty big month uh, for Xbox in July. And the way things are shaping up these days is that when it's a big month for Xbox, it's also a big month for Sony. So we'll have more to say about this all in July. So I have one last piece of follow-up here in a section I'm calling the Rightful King, and it's a fun one. I I have a lot of fun making album artwork for our show, and so I couldn't help myself, and it, this has been on my mind for a while now, that the album artwork that we have defined as our official album artwork is kind of wrong, because Bo does not own a Galaxy S10. I own an iPhone 10, but Bo does not own a Galaxy S10. He owns a Galaxy S9 Plus, a great phone, a really great phone, but he's not really represented based off of our official album artwork. I want representation. Um, It was an oversight. (laughs) I apologize. Um, And so I made it right, and I made the rightful king. And so the album artwork for this episode, and probably for the next episode, and more or less just going forward until... We make new album artwork because I'm getting a new phone this fall. Maybe Bo will get a new phone this fall too. I don't know. We'll see. But when one of us gets a new phone, we're going to have new album artwork anyway. And so until then, the rightful king will reign. Uh, Long may it reign. Okay. Follow-up done into the topic. The background of the topic is in the context of Apple's WWDC conference, Worldwide Developer Conference. And what that is, is it's a... It's a big event every single year where Apple puts out uh, press releases and keynotes and education regarding what new updates they're going to be releasing in the fall. So, and that doesn't just you know appear magically out of nowhere, and then developers all of a sudden have to start working in September through you know however long to get stuff updated. Developers are told about the software updates in June so that so that they can be ready in september and it's a big deal a lot of developers do pay very close attention to all all this new stuff happening all the education that apple publishes and that apple tells the world what they're doing um this year is a little different because of the fact that they are doing it uh online completely and exclusively why is that i wonder yeah right (laughs) (laughs) and they in just just a quick moment by the way it's actually really well done and uh, I've I've actually been sharing some videos with Bo over the course of the last week because not only is it available to developers, it's also available to free to for free to everyone. It's so shareable actually that you don't even need to have an iOS device, a Apple 
made product to view it. All you have to do is grab a public link and view it as if it was on YouTube. It's not YouTube, but it's, you know, hosted at Apple. And I've actually been sharing a few links with Bo over the course of the last week, specifically on uh, advancements to Swift. Yeah, I, I watched... Uh... I watched the whole uh, "What's New in Swift" five uh, three video, and it was really, really well made. Um, and there's some cool features coming in the language, but that's that's probably a topic for another day. <laughs> right. I think that uh, did they even mention anything about Swift five point three being available for Windows, or did they completely gloss over that? They, I didn't find anything on that. Um, I'm still looking forward to being able to use Swift on Windows. Um, even if it's just to kind of play around with, which I, I could at this point, um, but it involves building it myself. Um, so I'm looking forward to there being, um, easily available binaries that people can just install. And then that'll start building up kind of the windows side of, of Swift's, uh, ecosystem. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't see anything in there. I've seen previously that it, it's planned for five, three, but hasn't, uh, hasn't shown up yet in their official stuff really. God, who who knows what it's going to take to get it on Windows and then for you even to be able to do some stuff with it. But when that happens, we should talk about that. So, so the biggest news of WWDC this year is Apple's decision to make their own processors for their Macs. Historically, they've used Intel processors and, um, you know, going forward, they're going to be making their own processors. They're not going to be buying processors from Intel anymore uh, starting this year, which is a And that is a very big deal. So let's dissect this decision. And ultimately what this is going to come down to is a conversation of Mac versus Windows. And we're going to dissect this into a couple major parts. We're going to dissect it into hardware, into software. And then we're going to discuss the ramifications of this decision. So I use macOS. Bo does not use macOS. So why in the world do I buy macOS hardware? Why do I like to buy Apple laptop? I don't buy Apple laptops, but uh, you know, I have a Mac mini. You uh, have an iPad masquerading as a laptop. Ex- yeah, I guess. Yes. yes. <laughs> so honestly, like I, I buy Apple products because of the fact that I like the uh, optimized hardware in high quality chassis. The hardware may technically not be the fastest possible, specifically in regards to the Mac Mini, but the components that are used inside it are really high quality and highly tested. And honestly, the hardware just lasts forever. Uh, The MacBook that I got in college in 2012 is still kicking just fine, and my wife is using it as her full-time computer now and has been for almost like five years or so. And I don't really know anyone out there who has a dell or an hp from eight years from eight years and would consider that a good experience um and the mac mini i have is is tiny at the time when i bought it it was uh, the fastest i7 across all their lines all uh, compared against all i7s that mac mini was the fastest i7 in there and it's tiny it's it's amazing what uh what they can do with such a small device so uh, the Mac Mini remains to be one of my favorite devices that I've I've bought recently, and I expect it to remain in my house for like seven to ten years because the the hardware is good. It just it just works and works for a long long time. Um, the software is a whole nother thing, and um, yeah, I I can reasonably expect it to last seven to ten years from today. So, what's your opinion on uh, Apple hardware? 
I really like the aesthetics and the quality of Apple's hardware design. Um, the the chassis, like you mentioned, I've, I've um, especially there for a while um, with the iPhones, um, the now kind of iconic iPhone chassis that they just can't let die. Um, mm-hmm. That had like the squared off sides and and rounded corners, uh, but chamfered edges and everything. That was. I mean, I love I love square edges, so that one was <laughs> that one was just kind of my favorite. Um, obviously, we've moved on to bigger kind of glass slabs with rounded edges and things like that. So we're not really in that era anymore. But it's still I really like the look of it. They're reliable and consistent machines. I did though have to ditch my MacBook Pro from my uh, university days because it was just painfully slow. I don't remember the model year. I think it was a 2012. And I I definitely was in contact with uh, Ubret when I was getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. That was a few years ago now. But it just, yeah, it got really slow. Crazy question. Yeah. Did did we ever put an SSD inside your MacBook? Or no, I didn't, okay. I didn't upgrade it at all. Um, I just moved on from it. I bought a... Dell XPS 15 in August 2016, and Mm -hmm. that's still performing excellently. Um, I did have to replace the battery, though, which is something we've talked about previously, and I I still really like that laptop. Um, You mentioned the Mac Mini, and that one's been really tempting to me for a while for basically no reason. I don't know even why. (laughs) Like, It would just be cool to have a somewhat affordable Mac to use and to have it in my uh in my inventory <laughs> but my use cases just don't justify it i just uh i wouldn't i don't think i would use it if my main desktop is is a windows tower you know but it it would be cool to have it i just have no reason to get it <laughs> sure yeah and it gets a lot more complicated going forward as well because if you can't run windows it's um it's complicated so we'll we'll get into that in a moment here mm-hmm. um i can't believe that it's already been like almost four whole years since you got that dell yeah and you know i i said that i i don't really know anyone who uses a dell or an hp for you know eight years or so and whether or not they people would consider that to be a good experience but that might also just because it be because of the fact that one i upgraded the uh, macbook that my wife is using to an SSD, which is a, you know, a dramatically bigger uh, Mm -hmm. situation than a spinning disc. Um, And, and then there's the other concept that Apple does use high quality product or high quality components inside their computers. And it's easier every single year for commodity, uh, you know, a cheap HP, really the the cheapest possible HP has higher quality. There's there's a far wider range of, of computers with Dell and HP um, than there is with Apple. With Apple, you have a pretty narrow range, and they all have good quality components. It's just kind of processing speed or capacity. Whereas with Dell and HP, you've got stuff way down on the bottom for the affordable end, and then you've got stuff way up at the top for the power user or pro use. So uh, there's a there's a huge scale there. Um, I have I have a pretty kind of high-end uh dell laptop so um it hasn't been upgraded but it i did replace the battery but that you know performance 
didn't, that's not uh, relevant there. Um, but it does have an SSD, um, which could be a, a pretty good factor in why it's still performing nicely. Yeah, exactly. It, SSDs just last longer and perform better. And, you know, there isn't really much of an upgrade path after you get an SSD because it's just faster RAM. And at some point it's just, you know, it's all just fast. So that's good. So the soft- <laughs> It's all just varying degrees of fast. <laughs> right, right. And that's, and eventually I would imagine, you know, 10 year old laptops will become a little bit more pop, a little bit more possible than it has been historically. So, um, and software will also help with that as well. There's a transition. Um, so, uh, I use, I love Mac OS. I love a lot of different, you know, iPad OS, iOS, whatever. Um, and bugs aside, the reason why I like Apple software is the phrase, it just works in general still applies to the Apple ecosystem today. There's tight integration between iOS and Mac OS that allows me to use whichever device as if it had the native abilities of the other. So I can respond to text messages on my Mac without second thinking. I see the notification come through on my Mac, just like I would on my iPhone. And I click reply and I'm typing and I'm moving right along. Um, I can edit audio, video, handle, you know, massive files on my iPad without hesitating as well. Um, Some devices do some tasks better. Others do other tasks better, but in general, the tasks that are equal, I can do anywhere and I don't have to think about it. And it's, it's pretty sweet, and that's you know a huge draw to the software. What are you thinking on software? Um, usability I, is, has never really clicked with me. Like there were some apps that like felt really polished on the Mac system, um, and I, I think it just works. It's still around, but I I've heard it just seems like in my my perception is that it's it's less applicable today than it was a few years ago. It seems like I've heard an increasing number of instances where it certainly just didn't, it didn't just work. Um, and we've talked about a few on here. Um, I think mostly around Siri <laughs> handoffs yep. between different devices. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think there, there definitely are, uh, things that, that don't just work and they sometimes get overlooked and, while the system as a whole, I think is very reliable. There are still places just like any other software, just like any other developer. There are places that are not polished and things that aren't as well designed yet. Um, so I, I, I still think that in general, the usability is maybe more consistent on the Mac ecosystem than it is on say windows. Um, Versus Android, maybe it's a little more complex, but on desktop, at least, I think macOS is more consistent than Windows is. But we're we're also about to see something else coming up rapidly here with software design as well, because the new macOS Big Sur is going to introduce a dramatic redesign. And um, I don't know, it'll be curious to see how quickly uh, developers for the Mac adopt to that because I think developers adopt for iOS rapidly, but I don't think that they adopt for Mac nearly as quickly. So, all right. So last, last part here is, uh, the Apple processor transition. What does it mean to you? Um, and real quick for my opinion on it, I, I don't expect 
what it what it means to me, my opinion is that I don't expect I will have the option to dual boot my Mac anymore. I don't currently use that feature. I am I like the idea that I can, but I don't currently use it. I haven't actually used dual boot on any Mac that I've owned. And uh, I do technically dual boot my Hackintosh, but I'm not using Bootcamp for that. And that's a whole different thing. So we'll see how it goes, because even though uh, Windows on ARM does exist and uh, Microsoft is building it, they don't license it out to other companies. You have to buy a device with Windows on ARM in order to get it. And yeah, so it'll take them to license it in order to put it onto a Mac. And it'll be curious to see what happens with that. So digging into the processor transition for you, um, is native Windows boot compatibility a requirement to you? If you did like to buy one of those Mac minis one of these days, do you need to be able to boot Windows in order to even consider it? I don't think I would need to. I don't think it's a hard requirement. I I have a Windows desktop tower and I have two monitors and I'm assuming what I would do if I did get a Mac mini was is have it sitting between my two monitors on the top of my desk and I would just switch inputs uh, to get to my desktop Windows machine. Um, if I, I'd say that'd be a lot more difficult if I was just going to have a Mac Mini or whatever for my main uh, desktop computer because I'm currently and, and always have been, uh, except for a brief stint with the MacBook Pro at university, a Windows user. And Mm -hmm. I'd have some pretty serious adjustments moving to a Mac. There'd be a lot of uh, re-acclimating, and there's probably even some software that isn't cross-platform that I'd have to find alternatives for uh, that work differently. And so while while it's not a hard requirement... Uh, because I currently have a Windows desktop, I'd say that if it was going to be my main one, it would it's it would be uh, a difficult transition. All right, and then um, if Apple found themselves in the situation of having the fastest consumer grade processor available in the market, which is one of the reasons why Apple is considering considering doing this, is because their processors are fast and they're extremely battery efficient. Um, would that tempt you? Would that tempt you to either get uh, replace your laptop with a Mac or if it's just a general fast processor um, and it has the fastest possible processor that you can get, would that tempt you? Not by itself. I, I would say that speed isn't my top priority. Interesting. Uh, okay. There's there's a whole bunch of factors that I think I would um, look at and speed isn't number one. It's maybe three or four. Okay. I think it's it's great. I think it's it's raising the bar across the board and this this gets into a larger kind of topic of discussion around this whole processor transition uh which I'm going to throw back your way. Okay. With Apple moving to ARM and off of Intel. First of all, that's that hurts Intel a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um not to mention that Intel is also facing a hell of a lot more competition from AMD these days. What does ARM mean not just for Windows compatibility and for your use of Apple platforms, but what does it mean in general? What is what is the transition from for Apple to ARM going to do? But then if um, 
future machines from other manufacturers continue to move on to ARM. So Android phones, uh, which I think is already in progress. Microsoft is building a version of Windows for ARM. What if they continue to move toward ARM and make it the main architecture for basically all devices? And is that yeah. uh, is that reasonable? Oh yeah, I mean the thing is, Android is already Android is based on ARM. Like there was a, a social experiment essentially of Android on Intel, but it never it never really went very far. So when you consider computers to be not just a desktop, not just a laptop, but also mobile phones, actually most computers in the world run on ARM processors today. (laughs) That's very Um, true. (laughs) um, So what exactly that means though? Like it means that we are dropping some compatibility at an architecture level, but we're gaining a newer processor a newer processor architecture that it wasn't built in the eighties because Intel arm pro or Intel processors are still based on a design that originates from the eighties. And so, um, you know, we're going to be able to get rid of some of that. And then also for Apple, what this means is that they're going to have more control over their products. And that has gone well for iPhone and iPad. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it will go well forever and that we aren't at risk of a modern culture. But what it does mean is that um, Intel doesn't get to define to Apple what the low-level uh, features are available to them. So uh, one big feature that is absolutely coming to Apple hardware is something called a secure enclave that they have inside their iPhones, inside their iPads, which is... I, from what I understand, has it, it's a secure part of the processor that, from what I understand, has not been um, compromised since its introduction, I think, in 2013. Um, if it has been compromised, it, it it's easy to patch, and it's easy to keep all of the secure information, like specifically your fingerprint and your face print, essentially, um, in a secure location that no one can access, even Apple can't access. And that's a big thing that they will be able to bring um, as a direct result of this. And theoretically, that should have been possible with Intel, but fact of the matter is it, it means that Apple doesn't have to wait for Intel's help on the on the fact. They already have it in other parts of their product line, and they can just work internally to build it and put it out there and be done with it. Yeah, like you said uh Intel and their uh, traditional processing architecture being built decades ago mm-hmm. uh, is, I think, I agree, it's a big part of this because uh, to equate it to software, Microsoft is heavily devoted to backward compatibility, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes to the detriment of <laughs> new things. Uh Windows, I don't think, has ever really broken backward compatibility in any real way, whereas Apple has has been willing to do that for big sweeping changes, like moving to Intel and moving off of Intel. <laughs> yep. Yep. And meanwhile, Microsoft has basically never done that. But that leaves a lot of cruft in the operating system. Windows is full of code and uh, systems that have been around for 
30 years, even dating back to when it was barely Windows, when it was like DOS, Apple, on the other hand, has not really carried forward much of that cruft. They don't have as much baggage, so they they are able to make kind of quicker uh, quicker steps than Microsoft can in terms of the operating system. Um, and those are just kind of the the two kind of different uh, methodologies that they have uh, in this case, because Microsoft is has traditionally been more business oriented, so they want to maintain that compatibility and. I think that's where Intel is at too. Yeah. And the other, and another thing to consider as well, I guess Intel will still be considered the direct competitor because on a laptop, you know, you're going to, you're going to look at battery life and power and whatnot. And how, how did the two compare? And um, that'll be an interesting comparison to see when you have uh, products out in the world that can run Geekbench on Mac OS it, and work runs on, ARM versus Intel and see which where the specs fall. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, I guess the other thing is the the reason why a big reason why Microsoft can't move on is because of the fact that th- their core business is serving businesses. Um, and I know that whenever you know I, I work at a large company. And whenever there's a software change, people are scared. Everyone's scared of software change. And Microsoft <laughs> understands that. And they need to serve their customer. And they think they do a really good job serving their customer. <laughs> and they're, you know, trying to balance the concept of, you know, dropping support for old stuff versus, you know, moving on. And I think in general, they, I think it's it's clear in general they say, no, 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 don't worry. We're not going to scare you. We're, we're going to keep support for that somehow, some way. I don't know. We'll do yeah. it. And You're just always going to have people that complain either way. They don't update right. fast enough or they update too often. Windows is never going to win. Uh, and I see that all the time because I, I go to the Windows 10 subreddit and the Windows subreddit, and there's people complaining that they can't turn off updates or or that uh, there hasn't been an update to this for however long. And it's like, how do we have so many on both yeah. sides? <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, migrating into the, the pick section here, um, my pick actually goes directly in relation to this, by the way. If you enjoyed this and you want to hear more, I have quite a pick to share with the world here, which is... A episode of the Windows Weekly podcast that is called um, No Code Left Behind. It's episode 678 of uh, Windows Weekly. Um, I've talked about Windows Weekly on this podcast before. They are incredible. They are my favorite, and they're probably the best Windows-based, Microsoft-based podcast out there. And... This was a big week for Apple, obviously. Um, one of the co-hosts pays very close attention to Apple because of the fact that it's you know it's his job to know the difference between Apple products and Microsoft products because he writes a he writes a book about Windows and he's he's very he's very savvy he's very good he's awesome um, and so he paid very close attention to this and he knows all the details going back back to. Uh, I think honest to god I believe he was probably he was probably using 
one of the original x86 Intel processors back in the 80s when it was released. And he's used every single Windows product ever since. And he is just an expert on this. And he knows the long history of Intel and Windows and their relationship together and how crazy of a thing what Apple is doing here. So um, he talks a lot about the fact that Microsoft doesn't leave any code behind, which is why that's the name of the episode. Windows Weekly, no code left behind. So highly recommend it. Go check it out. Very cool. What's your pick? Well, my pick is Infinity Train. It's uh, it's a cartoon, uh, an animated uh, series. It's on uh, Cartoon Network, and it's it's a uh, kind of a like I would say it's like a more accessible Rick and Morty. Like the episodes are shorter. It's science fiction oriented. Um, it ha- it has um. I, it's definitely not as adult, maybe oriented as Rick and Morty, <laughs> uh, but the, the episodes are pretty short. It's they're like ten to fifteen minutes each, um, which for me is not long enough. I wish they were longer because the the world that it kind of built is just very interesting. So basically, it's it's a, a seemingly endless train that is traveling through what seems like a barren landscape. And every single car in the train contains its own environment. Like every train is, huh. every car in the train is different. Interesting. Okay. So one contains a world where there are uh, talking corgis, and another has, is full of, everything is chrome. And that's like, that's just it. Like every every car is like its own little, like, self-contained universe (laughs) and uh so the main character gets stuck on this train and is trying to find her way off so you're Hmm. you're following as she goes through each car trying to find a way to get off the train wow wow okay it's, it's funny it's it's got some um some drama and like some pretty cool action thriller type of stuff but um it it's it was just really accessible, easy to watch, and really really interesting. Uh, where can I watch it? It's on HBO Max, is where uh, I found it. Um, it's on Cartoon Network. There are two seasons available right now. What? Well, they call them books. So book one is a season, and book two is a season. Um, but there are different. Um, they. Uh, like book two, which we just kind of started watching, um, is kind of a branch off what season one was. So okay. uh, it doesn't follow the same characters per se. It it switches it up a little bit. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to more. That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to share any feedback, questions, or any topic suggestions, feel free to. Let us know on Twitter at we are at Active Discourse. And until next time, hope you stay safe and see you later. Bye. See you next time.